In Star Wars The High Republic, 200 years before The Phantom Menace, Yoda is 700 years old. He doesn't look a day over 600. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode 20 of Vine Pairs Wine 101 Podcast. And oh, hey, it's season two. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tasting director of Vine Pair Keonda. It's so misunderstood. Do we even know about it? Lambrusco, guys, Lambrusco is awesome. We got to talk about Lambrusco. This episode of Wine 101 is brought to you by Otello Lambrusco. Otello is a sparkling red wine inspired by a tradition and refreshed for today. Crafted by the Cecchi family of Parma, Italy, Otello Lambrusco is a lively, effervescent red wine that tastes of ripe berries and dark plum. Full bodied with a velvety, smooth finish, its lower alcohol content also makes Otello perfect for an afternoon sip. Try Otello on its own, chilled, over iced, or even as a cocktail. Otello Lambrusco is as versatile as it is delicious. Otello Lambrusco, red differently. Okay, am I gonna? I'm, gonna make, I'm about to make another statement here. I just, I'm making a statement. Um, I, I believe that the wines made from Lambrusco are some of the most fascinating, unique, delicious, interesting wines coming out of Italy, full stop. Not the most, (laughs) but some of the most. And I'm very excited about this episode. I'm very excited about Lambrusco and telling you about Lambrusco. Because for us on the American market, we have enjoyed a certain kind of wine made from the Lambrusco grape. And that's great. But there are other styles of Lambrusco that are coming onto our market that are very different from what we're used to, if you're even used to it at all. And we got to talk about it because these wines are just, I mean, they're kind of mind-blowing, honestly. I know some of you are like, whoa, Keith likes, Keith, that's great. But exactly what is Lambrusco? Like, exactly. Well... Just north of Tuscany and east of Tuscany, there is a very large region, one of the largest of the 20 regions of Italy, called Emilia-Romagna. At one point, it was the province of Emilia, the province of Romagna, and they at some point came together. And I'm not really sure why, but what I do know is that this region spans almost the entire Um, width of the peninsula of what is Italy. It's huge. And because it's, I don't know why, but maybe because it's north of Tuscany, which has so much, you know, Tuscany, Tuscany, that's where everybody goes to to visit. This place has so much awesome that we know, we just may not know where it's from. Emilia-Romagna is home to balsamic vinegar. It is home to prosciutto di Parma. It is home to Parmigiano-Reggiano. It is also home to Ferrari, Ducati, (laughs) and Lamborghini. And the oldest university like ever is still operating in Emilia-Romagna. This place is one of the wealthiest regions in all of Italy. 
It's crazy. So we all know Amelia. Oh, and also the uh, second season of Master of None was filmed in Modena, which is Amelia Romagna. It's actually where balsamic vinegar is from, which is really, really, really cool. And as far as wine is concerned, Emilia Romagna, I mean, as big as it is, has a bunch of DOCs. It's a bunch of wine appellations with very cool wines that you may not see a lot on the American market, but you, they're there, but they aren't often as promoted as much, which they should be. But almost smack dab in the middle of the region, just west of the town of Bologna, which is where Mortadella is from, which is where we get the word baloney from. We did that is the city of Modena, which I had just mentioned. Also west of that is a city of Reggio, or Reggio Emilia. Surrounding these two cities, they grow a variety, a red variety called Lambrusco. And the Lambrusco grape is very different than a lot of grapes out there. I, I, when I do research on a grape, I really want to find the origin of the grape. It's kind of a, there's something about sort of a closure about that, you know? But when you read about Lambrusco, it's not about the origin of the grape. It's about the many grapes that are called Lambrusco. And I don't know if it's a, not a lack of research, but I don't know if they haven't gone through it yet or I'm missing something, but there's not like information about Lambrusco and its progeny and its origins and all that. What's mostly talked about are just that, the many grapes that are called Lambrusco. I don't know, it's just crazy. When you're looking into Lambrusco, you're finding forms of Lambrusco, not clones or anything like that. Like Jedi wine master uh, Jancis Robinson calls them the many forms of Lambrusco. And there's at least 10 different forms of the Lambrusco grape, but a very short list of, of them that are often used in this part of Italy to make a sparkling red wine. Yeah. I don't know another place in the world that has controlled appella- multiple controlled appellations dedicated to sparkling red wine. If you know or have consumed or are familiar with Lambrusco, what I'm about to say might tweak your brain a bit. But the sparkling reddish wines of Lambrusco, more often than not, are dry. They're often very effervescent, very aromatic. They smell like herbs and violets and cherries and berries. They have tannin in them sometimes. You feel a grip of tannin on your palate. And then the the bubbles come in and break it all apart. These wines are, like I said, they're fascinating, fascinating wines. And what's really cool is that, you know, I was saying Emilia Romagna is like the breadbasket of Italy. I mean, you have all these foods that I mentioned in there. And it's thought that these dry, effervescent, beautiful, bubbly wines are perfect with the heavier foods of the region, which makes complete sense. But the thing is, what we know as Lambrusco on the American market, we never knew, I don't think that it was Lambrusco. It was one brand that came from a cooperative in Emilia-Romagna called Riuniti, in Italian, Riunite. The brand came about when you had, I think it was like nine winemakers after World War II in the area, um, came together and formed a cooperative called the Cantine Cooperativa Riunite, 
Reunite just means to gather. So it was like it was like this very positive thing, man. Let's all gather together and make a bunch of money and try to make something special out of what we have. And oh, did they. They called the wine Reunite or Reunite. And within six years, they doubled production. And through the 1960s, it gained in popularity. And then in 1969, it hits American palates and we lost our collective minds. The United States always has had a sweet tooth. And the wines that were being made by the cooperative was a style of Lambrusco, Lambrusco called Amabile, which means semi-sweet. So it was a fizzy, semi-sweet wine that came in very easy-to-drink bottles. And that's it. We lost our minds. Reuniti became a cultural phenomenon through the 70s and into the 80s, making Reuniti one of the third, the third largest wine group in the world at the time. I mean, I don't know where you are in age, but I, as a kid in the 80s, I remember the Reuniti commercials. You can go on YouTube and see them now. Reuniti, it tastes so fine. Reuniti, pure and natural wine. Reuniti on ice. Reuniti, so nice. Oh, I'll never forget it. And they would put people in different social situations. Uh, it was like softball or picnics or something like that. It became like the to-go wine of America. It actually started getting so popular, they had... You know, the original Reuniti, then they had pink, and they had white. And if you don't know about Reuniti, it's because at some point, Americans, they still, Reuniti is around. Actually, in 20, uh, 2006, it went through a big rebrand. It was called Reinvent Reuniti, and it's definitely still around. And it's good, affordable, amabile, semi-sweet, fizzy, red wine, rosé, and white. But... Even though the United States, we will always have that sweet tooth, we started to evolve. We're actually still doing it now. Um, our, our drinking culture is evolving as we speak. And we had an organic movement and a biodynamic movement. And we started getting into wines with a little bit more acidity. We started like, okay, we like the, we like the, the big stuff. We like the sweet stuff, we like the, the tannic stuff. But what's this stuff? Now we can like all the stuff. You know, it doesn't have to be one style or another. And that's where the rest of Lambrusco comes into play. Okay, wine lovers, this is going to be a little bit tricky because I'm going to explain to you this awesome place and these awesome wines. And you're, you might be like, wow, that sounds delicious. I want to go look for it. Well, right now, Lambrusco is on our market. It's not prominent, but it's on our market. There are certain kinds, certain types of Lambrusco, which I'll talk about that are more prominent than others. But the smaller production Lambruscos, because these wines can be pretty expensive in small production, they're, they're on their way or they're here. You just got to search them out. And often, um, uh, wine buyers that support small production Lambruscos are often going to be in those wine shops that you go and create relationships with the wine merchant. You know what I mean? Okay, let's dig in. And bear with me. This might sound intense, but it'll, it'll, it'll level out, I promise. In this wine-growing region... In the center of Emilia-Romagna, five forms of the Lambrusco grape are used more than any of the other ones. You have Lambrusco Salamino, Lambrusco Grasparosa, Lambrusco Maestri, Lambrusco Sorbara, and Lambrusco Marani. 
And these forms of Lambrusco grow all over the region, from Parma in the west all the way to Bologna in the east and everywhere in between, north and south. But there are certain forms of Lambrusco that, that thrive in certain areas better than others. And because of this, different DOCs were formed in this area to focus on the ones that did better in the area. So the town of Modena, north and south, have four distinct DOCs in that these are the ones we're going to start seeing on our market. North of the town of Modena, or city of Modena, is the, you know, Emilia-Romagna has a lot of geography, but this is more plain land. It's, a, it's more plains. And, but the plains are filled with alluvial soil. That basically just means, a, I've said this before, but it's a bunch of junk that comes down off of a mountain and fans out into sort of a plain. And that, that, all that mountain gravel and rock and stuff is good for vines. And in these alluvial plains, the northernmost one, you have a DOC called Lambrusco Salamino di Santa Croce. Notice the word Salamino in there. I had mentioned um, one of the Lambrusco grapes is Lambrusco Salamino. So this DOC focuses primarily on Lambrusco Salamino. It blends with, an, with another, other forms, but it features this particular form of Lambrusco. And what you get here is these beautiful, they sometimes are very aromatic. They almost smell like violets sometimes. They're very fruity and punchy. And they actually have a little bit of tannin, which is just nuts. It's so beautiful. They're bright. They're scented. They're dryish. They're not overly sweet. These wines, and they're bubbly, of course, and they're just wonderful. They're not deep and dark and red. I mean, they're sort of like a rich red, rich red. It's basically just a deep red with like sun coming through it. Just south of that is a DOC called Lambrusco di Sorbara. And again, as I mentioned, there's a sort of Lambrusco Sorbara. So this is a DOC that focuses on this particular form of Lambrusco, the Sorbara form. And the wines coming out of here are just, they're different. They're all different kinds, but the, 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 the pale sort of like pinkish dry Lambruscos from this area are out of this world. Talk about heavy foods cutting through the fat Good acidity, great bubbles. These wines are beautiful, and they have beautiful scents. They're very aromatic as well. <sighs> you think I like them? South of the town or city of Modena, it gets a little hilly. And here we have the Lambrusco Grasparosa di Castelvetro DOC. It's a lot of words, but Grasparosa is the word that you're probably familiar with because it's another form of Lambrusco that I had listed and this style from this grape is getting closer to what we're used to in the United States in that the form of Lambrusco Grasparosa, the, the wines here are darker. There's more extract, more color from these grapes. They're juicier. And it, you get a little bit more, there's, there's a good sort of like dense herbiness to them sometimes, but they definitely have a little bit of weight to them and a little bit of sweetness to them. But what I love about the wines made from Grasparosa, Lambrusco Grasparosa, is there is tannin. So you have this like dark, extracted, 
bubbly red, has a little more sweetness than usual than we're used to in the other DOCs, but that tannin comes in and just dries it out and forms a structure and kind of breaks apart the sweetness. It's like the perfect balance of sweet and dry and dark. It's awesome. Give me a grasparosa and a bucket of fried chicken. I'll just call it a day. So those are the styles, those are the forms, those are the feels of the more smaller production controlled appellations for Lambrusco. If you were to draw a circle around all of those, there would be another DOC, which is called Modena. And the DOC Modena that covers all those appellations, you can just make whatever you want with whatever Lambrusco form you want to. It's, it's a big sort of catch-all appellation. You're going to see a lot of that on the American market because it's just a lot of it is made. And because the production rate is usually higher, the wines tend to be generally sweeter. But there's a DOC west of Modena that surrounds the town of Reggio Emilia. It's a large appellation, and it's called Reggiano, just like they called the cheese, Parmigiano-Reggiano. This is the Reggiano DOC. And this is where the Cantine Curapativa Riunite is located. This is where Riuniti actually does all their stuff. And this is why the wines from Riuniti that came on our market were decidedly sweet. Because in the Reggiano DOC, you are allowed to blend up to 60% of a grape called Ancelotta into the wine. It's blended to add color, concentration, and a little more sweetness to the vigor of the other forms of Lambrusco, because you'll, you'll notice in the DOCs, when I was talking about them, the colors I was saying were a little bit lighter. So the Ancelotta comes in and kind of denses it out, because this is the kind of style, the Amabile, or semi-sweet style, that we fell in love with, with Riuniti. So Reggiano being where Riuniti is, the Amabile, semi-sweet, sort of dense, sweet, bubbly red Lambrusco, that's what you're going to see the majority of because that's what we fell in love initially. So even though Riuniti is still around, other brands came to compete and they call themselves Reggiano Lambrusco Amabile. Was this a lot of crazy information? Isn't this crazy? Now the thing is, Lambrusco is a sparkling red wine and it's made like a sparkling wine would be made. Um, if you listen to the sparkling wine episode in the first season, there are two ways of making sparkling wine. There's the traditional method, which is a second fermentation in bottle. And then there's the Charmat method, which is a second fermentation in a pressurized vat. The majority of Lambrusco is made in the Charmat method. But this is where, uh, this was so cool. The smaller DOCs and even the larger DOCs are starting to make wine differently. The smaller DOCs are actually, there are some winemakers that are practicing or playing around with the idea of second fermentation in bottle with Lambrusco. And the, the, I've had a couple of them and the result is amazing. And as far as the more concentrated sweet styles, they will never go away. Amabile is part of, is part of this world, the semi-sweet style. But even the larger uh, companies and the larger uh, brands are starting to back away a little bit from the sweetness. As, as the American wine palate starts to get a little bit drier, we like a little bit more, we will always be sweet, but we, always, we like a little more acidity, we want a little more character, a little more complexity, and we're starting to see more of those styles of Lambrusco come on to the market. 
So you have all kinds of stuff going on here. You have sort of the sweeter style, the amable that's pretty much everywhere that you can just go out and grab right now to say, okay, what is this thing Keith's talking about? Then you have all these other DOCs, these three DOCs that have these focused, unique styles within individual within themselves that are absolutely beautiful, herby, violet, scented, aroma, all kinds of awesome. They can be a little bit more expensive. They're a little bit lower in production, but man, are they worth it. So that's Lambrusco, guys. I hope this may have blown, did it blow your mind? I mean, I'm hoping that like, if you've never heard of Lambrusco before, you knew about it, but didn't know all the things, like this is pretty cool stuff, right? Okay, again, I'm excited about this episode. I'll stop now. I'll talk to you guys next week. Find Parakeet is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Parrot headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is brought to you by Otello Lambrusco. Otello is a sparkling red wine inspired by a tradition and refreshed for today. Crafted by the Cecchi family of Parma, Italy, Otello Lambrusco is a lively, effervescent red wine that tastes of ripe berries and dark plum. Full body with a velvety, smooth finish, its lower alcohol content also makes Otello perfect for an afternoon sip. Try Otello on its own, chilled, over ice, or even as a cocktail. Otello Lambrusco is as versatile as it is delicious. Otello Lambrusco. Red. Different.